there. You're listening to Those Real Estate Brothers podcast, where Joseph and Jared share what they know in real estate and all things local, including local restaurants, businesses, and cool stuff. Which brother is more interesting? Well, you're about to find out. What's up? Hey, what's going on? How are you? Good. What's going on? Seem excited. <laughs> I'm told that my videos had to be more exciting, so we're going to do it. You, you sometimes do look like you're... Uh, like a curmudgeon. Like you're sitting on a, a bed of nails or something. So I played lacrosse in college, and I transferred to a four-year school after two years. And I would just show up to fall ball, get my car, and leave. And there was three guys that needed an extra roommate, and they were unsure about me. They <laughs> thought I was... In hindsight, I found out they thought I was like a serial killer um, until they got to know me. But, yeah, I guess I come across as a little... Uh, Shut down. I think it's uh, you're about business. Let's get in, get it done, and then go home. Yeah, just talk about business. We've always been like that. So, um, where where I've, I've been seeing some different posts, uh, people in my neighborhood. A lot of them are making their houses bigger right now. I think some of that is you know they did refinances um, last year when the rates were cheap. But uh, I did I made my house bigger. I almost more or less doubled my square footage. You had a cape couple years ago you decided to well tell us what did you do instead of making your house bigger yeah so me and my wife um grown family needed more space just like a lot of other people and we were contemplating uh building it up or moving so we decided to move so you moved you sold your house and bought a different house a bigger house um i stayed and made my house bigger and the whole time i was debating what to do i was trying to figure out what would be the better choice and it never really was a clear break it was never obvious which way to go was it obvious to you to move instead of building up no the house was on the contract and uh, me and my wife asked ourselves did we make a mistake my wife was very emotional and uh no it wasn't clear it's not because when you do the even financially uh or especially financially when you do the numbers if you sell your house you have some closing costs right you got to buy the next house that's closing costs you got you know you're starting your mortgage over um, and you got moving expenses. You got to move somewhere. You you often have to stay somewhere else. You moved in with your in-laws for a little while. Uh, and what I learned by making my house double the size is I had all the same stuff. I still had to refinance and get a new mortgage, so that starts over. And uh, we had to move in with, you know, our parents uh, for about three and a half months until we could get back into the house. Um, we had to move all our stuff out to make room and, you know, whatever. So into a storage unit it went. And net, net, at the end of it, I thought to myself, this probably worked out the same. What about you? Yeah, you're probably right. You know, there's no right decision when you're thinking of selling and, and buying a bigger house or turning the house you're into right now, the house that is a house of your dreams that kind of fits your needs. There's no right or wrong answer, but I've said this on prior podcasts, whatever decision you make, it should be by design. You should know all the sort of pros and cons of both. And, and ultimately you got to make a decision, but there's that one problem, right? Inventory. Uh, so that's one of the challenges if you are thinking of, of selling and, and buying a bigger house. Uh, but at the same time, if you're thinking of building, uh, building costs gone up, uh, labor costs have gone up. So that, that extension or that dormer or that thing that you're planning on doing might cost a lot more now than it did 
six, seven, eight years ago. You know, we're hoping to give uh, people some clarity at the end of this, maybe have a better idea which way they want to go, because a lot of people in our age group, um, two, three kids, you know, they're having these conversations right now. These houses were built at a time when, you know, 850 square feet was fine because the kids were out in the streets all day long. Now life is different. So, but I don't know if we're going to really give people a lot of clarity because just like you said, um, inventory is tight. It's hard to go find a house that makes it easy to sell your house. You could have your house sold in two weeks subject to you even finding a new house because it's such little inventory. But even when you go to do the work, it's tough. The labor is short. They, they, you know, when will they get started? When will they actually finish? materials is a problem you know you have your your eyes set in a certain bathtub for that bathroom and you know it might be eight weeks if you're lucky we had ordered a vanity from Lowe's pretty simple thing not, nothing too crazy and they sold it to me with a delivery date and then it got pushed back and it got pushed back and then the medicine cabinet came in the mirror but never the actual vanity with the sink top and finally after about eight weeks and that was like the last piece to finish the bathroom they canceled the order. So now I'm sitting with a with a medicine cabinet and a mirror that match a, a vanity that doesn't exist. And those 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 jerks wouldn't take it back because it was more than 30 days, which is a separate issue. But getting materials, uh, not just the lumber, that's kind of gotten back to norm, normal prices, but all the other finishing materials, they're short. Anything that needed plastics or acrylics or, or, or you know, PVC, vinyl, that was all, that's still a little slow. Windows, same thing. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of people out there, we know a ton of them, that are kind of in that quagmire of do we sell and try to find something else or do we build? And right now there's a lot of people just in a holding pattern. They, they're not thrilled in their situation right now, but they're also not doing anything. I, I tell people who are going through these, you know, having these conversations on their own, you really have to think about how much do you like your neighbors? How much do you like your street? What's in your backyard? I had a park in my have a park in my backyard that I, I find to be really awesome with the kids. Love my neighbors, love my neighborhood. I love the way my house sits on the block. Um, so those things were ultimately what made us decide to stay in that exact spot and renovate. But you also have to think about, you know, what what are your alternatives uh, to sell or buy, um, sell and buy or, or 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 go up. What do you think about, you know? Moving, where would you move during the construction, which you're, you're usually going to have to move out of, whereas the sale, you might go straight from one house to another. But as you're having these discussions, you really want to put it all out there, figure out the numbers, really get a feel for, okay, what is this going to cost us to do? Um, put that on one piece of paper. What is it going to cost us? What are What's our financial picture like if we move? And what are the alternatives to both of those? And then what are the emotional parts of that decision because really I've never had somebody call me up and say I'm thinking about dormering my house because it's a good financial decision or I'm thinking about moving because based on the rates and the market projections it's usually like my kids are all fighting I can't let them share a room anymore what do I got to do to make that go away so let's add that emotion stuff on those sheets of paper and then when you see it in paper it sometimes makes it a little clearer to to decide which way you got to go and one of the mistakes I've seen I've done uh, I think, you, yeah, I, I think it's safe to say you have, but I definitely did it. I had a house that didn't really work for us. And then I made it a little bit better, but it still didn't work for us. And then I changed this and it still didn't work for us. And then I made it bigger and it kind of worked for us, 
and then the kids started getting older and having more toys, so it didn't. So then we did, we 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 dormered, we we added extension. Okay, we're good. Like a little shed dormer. We, we now we're good. And then we had Olivia, so it, it wasn't going to work. So what I had realized we were doing is we were doing just enough to get through the next year without really a, 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 an idea of the big picture. And big picture was there was no way an A-frame cape was going to work for us and our family in this day and age, even with some small fixes. Add a wall, take a wall, finish the basement. It's still the same house. And if I would have really thought about that in you know 2015 uh, as we started really growing our family, I think we would have just picked up and moved. It would have been easier uh, because we could have took our equity and just rolled it into a house that was already done, already depreciated, uh, you know, did some paint and floors on our own and it would have made a lot of sense. So that was, that's my feeling. Don't keep throwing good money after bad. Sometimes the house just isn't going to work for you. And you talk about emotions and human nature is to just do nothing, right? That's the default. Do nothing. Uh, but so what is moving expenses and maybe you need a short term rental and maybe you have an inconvenience, put a number on it. That might be a $10,000 cost right? of maybe living in a short-term rental. Well, this time of year, go rent a short-term rental by the beach. Go to Long Beach for right. three months. Yeah, uh, Maybe you move in with your uh, – you have a family member that you can move in with, but you say, I can't do that, so I'm going to go on a two-week vacation, something like that. So let's just say it's a $10,000 cost. Add it to the equation. Don't just say because of these costs we're not going to do it. Uh, add it to the equation and see if it makes sense. People spend $10,000 on a – on a one-week vacation. There's a cost to living in a house that doesn't work for your family, too. It may not be a financial cost, but is that is that keeping you from pushing yourself at work? Because when you come home, you can't do any work at home uh, because you're stuck in, you know, in the bedroom and there's no desk in there and it's not a great place to work, so you're not, you're not moving as forward in your career. Is it hard for your kids to study? And now getting homework done is a battle because the, the kids are fighting – you know, over who gets the, the desk, who gets the Mickey chair, who gets the, the kitchen table. Uh, is it hard to prep your meals because the kitchen is so tiny and there's no way to watch the kids in the backyard from the kitchen? What is the cost of the things that don't work about your house on you, your children, their education, your career? What else is it keeping you from doing? And that has a cost too. Inaction is a decision, right? You decide to do nothing or you decide to do something. I think there was a rush song about that. Maybe. Uh, but ultimately, deciding to m improve your family situation, usually the benefits of that outweigh the negatives. And what's the worst that's going to happen? I kind of know what will happen to my wife and I. We'll, we'll probably one day say this house has way too many stairs and it's too big and we don't need all this space. Well, what's the negative to that? I'm going to sell the house for that time, who knows, $7 million or whatever based on current projections. And and we'll, we'll, well be that's, fine. That's assuming Kathy Hochul isn't going to propose all town parks get sky-rise apartment buildings. I'll be the first one over there building it, and then, then I'll move out. Yeah, so, you know, I think when we discuss this with people, a lot of times we could give them some ideas because we've been through these projects, what it's going to cost, where, where those property, those, I'm sorry, where those real estate brothers, not the property brothers, but we have a good background in construction, uh, and, and have some ideas of that cost. We certainly know the real estate business really well. We could help clients work through those types of things. Like, yeah, but where would I live? Does short-term hotel rooms exist? Like, people have fires in their house, have to live somewhere too. There's a People don't realize it, but there's an entire structure around short-term housing, and we can make that work for you. Um, 
and there's too many salespeople out there, real estate agents that are too pushy. So everyone's afraid to invite someone like us in. Uh, in my opinion, for those people kind of trying to figure it out, we are the best choice. Mm-hmm. And and yes, I'm bragging, but we are the best choice because we're going to give you the information and kind of leave you alone. I mean, I'm working with somebody right now. Um, you know, she's considering selling one of her two houses and she's back and forth on what to do. I gave her all the information and I check in with her every couple of weeks and she is so appreciated, appreciative of the fact that she's, she doesn't get that salesy uh, atmosphere. We, we, if you, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you're trying to decide if you want to sell and move or stay or whatever, uh, and you're the one that wants to stay, we're the best people to bring in because we're like, yeah, well, why don't, that's one of the questions we're going to ask is, do you really want to move? Do you really want to go through all this? Why not just stay where you are? You know, part of that is to get them thinking about alternatives. They bring you in thinking of selling. What about thinking about staying? And, and a lot of times as they talk that out with you, they, you realize it, there's no way they could stay. They, they, they're talking themselves. They're almost convincing you, no, we got to move because right. X, Y, Z. Great, but now we know where we stand. Um, and that's okay. And, and we have clients that decide not to sell their house. It's great. I'm happy. I'm happy you're happy. I'm going to get another listing somewhere. I'm not so worried. We're, we're in a lucky place where, you know, we're not living and dying by one, one sales commission. So it's really freeing to be able to give good advice like that. And we're also in business for the long haul, you know, so, uh, so what that person doesn't want to sell and they're going to stay put and they're going to hire that contractor and put that really big extension on. I'll sell your house 20 years from now. Now it's twice as big, you know, that's fine by me. So you, you really do need somebody to almost, almost an arbitrator, right? Almost a mediator to come in and help you talk through that decision. Cause you need somebody who doesn't have nearly as much skin in the game uh, as you do, but somebody who has the background in the, in the cost on both sides and who could help you think about the emotional part of either side. And um, I think those decisions get even harder when you're talking about leaving the state and, and, but it's the same conversation. Those are conversations we have often with people and, you know, why not stay? Why not go? Where would you go? And you really need to think all that out before you start doing the dollars and cents. Because again, you don't have people calling you up and saying, based on my financial picture, I want to sell every day. Based on my person lost the election, based on I'm having more kids, based on I don't like the schools, based on, you know, my kids need more space, based on my job is better somewhere else. That's why people really move. The finances, um, a lot of times when you break this out, it's never going to be that much better. You, you know, oh, I could buy this house, it's cheaper, but I'm going to make less money. I could stay here and I make this much money, but the house isn't quite big enough. A lot of times when you put all that on paper, it's kind of 50-50. That, that, that scale balances out. It's very rare that it's so obvious to go one way or the other. So at some point, you might just th- think to yourself, which makes me feel less scared? Am I less scared to stay where I am and make my house bigger, or am I less scared of, or, or am I scared of contractors and permits and towns? And it's less scary to just pick up and move, and then make the decision, and then just make sure it happens the you know in a way that leaves you in a better place. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. That's it. Speaking of food, Cinco de Mayo today. What are you eating? I had a avocado. Two poached eggs this morning. Uh, you eat that almost every day, though. It's been, yeah, for the last month and a half, that's all I've been eating. And uh, I'm going to have some rice and vegetables. And i got to find a protein. I'm going to Caracara. I'm getting a big salad with some shrimp. And I think tonight, probably tacos. I was at the library the other night with a couple of the agents. You were there. Yep. And we got the nachos with the chili meat, and that was really good. 
They make they they have really good food at the Library Cafe. Uh, I think it's a little underrated over there actually. Well, but it's the amazing nachos were great. that they could push out that kind of food in that little kitchen. When I hear places say we have a small kitchen, I think to the library because they have really good food in a kitchen that's the size of most people's bathroom. There was a Italian restaurant in Williamsburg called La Nona, and they still have one in a different location, but the original one was like the size of a tiny little pizzeria, and the kitchen was smaller than the one in the library, and their pastas, all fresh. It was the most unbelievable Italian food I've ever had. You know, when you look at small businesses like that, a lot of times, uh, like Lenona was library, certainly not that small, but um, having having a small space forces you to be really creative. And efficient, yep. You know, this is how much stuff we could store in the refrigerator. Well, you know what that means? It means they don't have a lot of stuff in the refrigerator. They get deliveries more often. Um, That's like a segue to stretch, the book stretch. Yeah. You take the resources you have already, and how can you stretch those out to, to maximum um, – kind of benefit get the most out of it the most value out of what what you do have and when you when you focus on what you don't have you spend a lot of time wishing you had it when you focus on what you do have and you maximize the value in that that maximize the way you could use it all of a sudden you could really end up with something special and it's mindset if you always think i need that shiny penny to go to the next level you're always gonna chase that shiny penny when you get there you're going to move the goalposts, and you're going to move the goalposts, and you're going to move the goalposts. Uh, when you just look around at the resources you already have and say, how can I maximize it? Uh, it's a whole different mindset as well. The, I think small business is good at that uh, generally because you have one person. They're paying, you know, the, the, the personal bills and the business bills bleed together, and if I spend money on that here at work, that means I can't bring my kids to the Met game or I can't buy some, you know, tickets to the football game. So they find a way to stretch their resources, and that's why small businesses could be, you know, more nimble and more creative than a lot of big businesses. Um, something I heard the other day, somebody was complaining. They were at a uh, local downtown, and uh, they were trying to use a bathroom. Their daughter had to use the bathroom, and they asked a few businesses, and they all said no. They wouldn't let them. And I thought to myself, you know, there's a case of small business needing some advice. If you want to be – the community-based small business that's out there being creative, being doing exciting stuff, um, part of the community, the place where the town thinks, oh, this is, uh, this is our town. This is, you know, that restaurant is part of our town. That store is part of our town. Don't act like a Fortune 500 chain, you know, and, you know, keep that bathroom open for customers. And so what, that 10 people that ask for the bathroom, six of them might not buy anything. I know me personally, if my kids or wife needs a bathroom, I'm finding a bar and I'll get a beer. I'll buy a beer. Sometimes I take three, four sips if I'm in a rush, and then I'll leave. And, and I'll buy a beer just so I can use the restroom. But even if you don't, you know, if, you're, if you leave a good impression. Uh, you're going to go back. You're going to buy 10 beers on the next Saturday night, you know, hopefully between you and some other people, uh, and some food. And, and you think to yourself, yeah, that was a good time. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know why I do not disturb. I must have got double cold there. Um, but I, I, I was at another place in um, – it was actually at a store, a supermarket, and I, I didn't bring any of the reusable bags because I haven't done that yet because I never remember them. And I'm walking out of the store with, like, a handful of stuff. You know, I'm balancing it. I'm thinking this is another place where a lot of small businesses could be doing better. Like, have the great bags and just I – don't, I don't know what the legality of it, but, like, include it with the price of something. And what does it really cost you? But that personal service, that better service, that's where – our local businesses and downtowns really could be doing 
really stealing a lot of business back from big chains. I think Whole Foods, that's one of the reasons why people like it so much is because they double bag and they bag everything for you, and it's a whole experience. I guess you're paying a nickel for a bag still, but I don't think you didn't go to the local butcher shop because you're trying to save a nickel on the bag. Like, like Pathmark is uh, shop rate's definitely going to be cheaper than the local butcher. You went to the local butcher because you asked the butcher, excuse me, Gus, what's the best steak today? What's the best deal? I want to grill up some meat. What do you think I should get? And you got some advice, and then he, he cut it a certain way and trimmed it a certain way for you to bring home and packages it up nice, puts it in a nice bag. You put it together, and you pay, and you leave. You weren't thinking to yourself, Dave ripped me off for a nickel and made me charge for a bag. No, you're thinking, wow, this is why I come to this butcher instead of just buying it at the supermarket. That just reminded me of there used to be a fish guy at Best Yet back in the day. Mm. And every time he got a fish, he would like, he would almost question you on how you plan on cooking it to see if it's proper or not. And if not, he'll correct you. Um, so I don't know why I just thought of that. Speaking of a double call, so double call is a sales technique where if somebody doesn't answer, you call back immediately. You don't leave a message. You call back immediately for a second time. And um, there's a lot of statistics that you will get an I answer it every single time uh, when I'm not filming a podcast. But what's your feeling of the double call? I hate it. Yeah. And I get so, like, I am angry when I say hello. Yeah, hi, w- what's the emergency? Something like that I might start with. And if it's a halfway decent sales person, usually it's a client who's just a little high-strung. Uh, not even a client, but a, uh, a lead. Um, the the annoyance goes away in about five seconds, and now you now you're doing business. So um, it's like a I, necessary evil. At I times. think it annoys me so much because I answer my phone. Like I don't let you go to voicemail. I answer calls I don't recognize, spam likely calls. I answer them all, and um, so when I don't answer, it's because I'm I'm doing something. So give me a minute. And uh, but even then. You get over it pretty quick. So it's a really good sales technique, but uh, I don't think it's the one for me. Yeah, the jury's still out. Some people uh, really get turned off by it. It is what it is. It's like text messaging, right? Everybody's now doing bulk text messaging. Is anybody like that? No. Is it effective? For about 10% of the people, it's effective. About 80% of the people, they don't care one way or the other. The other 10% got really angry. If you can get 10 listings next year by pissing off 10 other people... You know, are you willing to do it? So, yeah, we'll see. Any final thoughts? Small business uh, agents, the best way to get through whatever whatever market we're in, whether it's a good one, a bad one, a, a challenging one, which is probably how I define this one, by getting better at providing your the service you provide, by giving it a higher level, by treating people a little bit better, even when it means, hey, don't sell, doesn't make sense for you right now. That's how you're going to have long-lasting success. Uh, listing agents last. Got to get the listings. Uh, and there's plenty of sellers out there that plan on selling this spring. Um, there's plenty of sellers out there that would like to sell, but maybe not. But you got to get out in front and talk to people. There you go. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Those Real Estate Brothers with Joseph and Jared. Subscribe now to get updates on future episodes. And please share it with others. Want to connect? Message us on Google, Facebook, Instagram, or text. We'll see you next time. And remember to always work hard and be nice.